life count? How do I make my life count? What makes it matter? I was getting ready for today, and this week I came across a video on Facebook. You say, okay, you were studying for your sermon on Facebook. Yeah, no, I wasn't. But as you're thinking through, it's amazing. Every week as you're thinking through your sermon or as you're working, studying things, you come across things all the time. You're like, wow, that that really fits. That makes sense. And so, no, I wasn't studying on Facebook, even though some of us would like to try sometimes in school. Oh, yeah, I'm studying. Yeah, with Facebook open and and my Snapchat coming up on my phone and everything else and email and everything. else. No, you're not studying, right? You're playing. You're pretending you're studying. But I wasn't studying. I was looking at Facebook, and I came across a video of the Facebook founder, Mark Zuckerberg, speaking at Harvard. He was given an honorary doctorate at Harvard this year, which is kind of interesting because he dropped out of Harvard uh, to start Facebook, which he did quite well for himself without graduating from Harvard. We would all have to agree, I think, at least humanly speaking, he's done well for himself. And uh, they had him back to give him an honorary doctorate, and he gave the address at the graduation. And it was a fascinating speech because he's speaking about purpose and about finding purpose in life. And it fit a lot with what we're thinking about finding purpose. He had the same goal. He wanted to find purpose. And it was his desire that you don't just find purpose for your life, but that the purpose of your life be to help other people find purpose in their life as well. And yet, I, while I agreed with his premise that we need purpose in life, I disagreed with what that purpose was, what he thought that purpose should be. Of course, he wants to make the world a better place, and don't we all, right? And yet, the way that he wanted to go about doing that, I would disagree with, because I think he missed something really important when it comes to purpose. He missed Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, there is no purpose to life that is truly fulfilling that truly will meet your needs, that will truly make your life count. Sure, you might make some difference. I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg's going to give a lot of money away. He already has, and he will continue to do so. Give lots of money to charity and, and help lots of people. He's trying to help eradicate certain diseases, and that's a good thing. He's trying to help get more education into places that don't have education. And that's a good thing, too. I'm not trying to take away from those things he's trying to do. And yet, like Mark, we, too, could spend our life doing good things and not have a life that really counts, that really makes a difference. We're going to see from Philippians 3 that it's possible to do some really good things and to have some really good stuff, and yet have a life that's worthless. The Apostle Paul is somebody who understood that very well. Because Paul, the way he was born, we're going to look at that this morning, the education that Paul had, the background that he had, the social standing that he had, he really had it all from a human perspective. And yet Paul learned something very important, that all those things... All those good things that seem to matter, he said they're all worthless without Christ. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3 this morning. I'll begin reading in verse 1. You follow along there in your Bible. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice 
in the Lord. Now, he's not about to be done with anything, even though he says finally there. It's one of those, Paul does it sometimes in his book. It's chapter 3. Wait, Paul, there's still a whole other chapter after this. I know, but he's, he's at least making you think he's close, right? But he's preaching or speaking. He's not preaching, really, but he's writing to his brothers in Christ. He tells them, rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That's a strong statement there, isn't it? No confidence. He doesn't leave any room for some confidence in yourself. And yet we're all taught to believe in ourselves, to work hard, to... To have confidence in what we can do. And yet Paul says, I have no confidence and you should have no confidence in the flesh. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If anybody could, Paul said, that would be me. He's going to give us a list of reasons of why he could have confidence in the flesh. He said, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable Unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't reached what I was going for. I'm not there yet. He says, but this one thing. I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here in this passage of Scripture lays out some things for us very simply. He says in the first section, these are things that don't count, that don't matter, even though these are things that the world thinks matter. And then he gives us a group of things. He says, this is how life matters. This is how to make a difference. And then he finishes off kind of with his purpose statement again. This one thing I do. Reminiscent of what he had said back in Philippians 1 verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. And then he says at the end of this passage. For this one thing I do. Forgetting those things that are behind. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's going to help us understand some things this morning. And I hope that God, as he uses his word in your hearts, will challenge you to be different today because of the truth 
that is found in this passage of Scripture. I want you to see this first of all, that we must treasure Christ. Christ must be more important to us than anything that this world has to offer. That's what Paul talks about in this first section. He gave them some warnings in the opening verses of this chapter. He says, beware of dogs, beware of the concision. These were the Judaizers that were coming into the church and trying to tell these new believers, especially these Gentile believers, hey, I know you've been saved, but if you really want to walk with God, you've got to keep all these things of the law too. And he calls them dogs, which is a very strong term to call Jews dogs, because if you remember, the Jews called the Samaritans and the Gentiles, they called them dogs. Right? Remember the woman, the Gentile woman who came to Christ and asked if she could be helped? And, and Jesus said, no, what have I had to do with thee? And she said, but even the dogs get to lick up the crumbs from the rich man's table. Right? They referred to them as dogs. It was a derogatory Mean word to call somebody else. You don't want to be called a dog. It wasn't in the cool sense like people did when I was a kid. Hey, dog. That was, that was, the, that was the cool term back when we were kids growing up. But that's not what it was. No, it was a derogatory term. And now Paul is using it about the Jews who would come into the church and try to turn people away from the truth and say, yes, it's God and something else yes it's christ and works right it's it's grace and the law you've got to keep this to be right with god and so paul gives them here some warning about these people that they must watch out for these dogs these concision those who would come in and and divide and cut and break down the relationship that these people had with christ Paul said, if anyone else thinks that they have reason to glory in themselves, and many of the Judaizers did, they thought, well, we can glory in ourselves. We are Jews. Paul said, I have more reason. Let me give you a list of seven things that Paul gives that he had received. First of all, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Secondly, he says, I'm of the stock of Israel, right? Of the, he was of the people of Israel. He said he was of the tribe of Benjamin. The fourth thing he was, he said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm, as, I'm, a, I'm an American of the Americans, right? That's what we would think of. Like, I bleed not just red, but red, white, and blue, right? I, I wear flags all the time. I got flags hanging on my house. I'm an American. That's the idea of what Paul is saying here. He says, in regards to the law, he said, I'm a Pharisee. Now, we might look at that as a negative thing, right? Because we think of Pharisees in a negative light. And yet again, in this day and age that Paul was living in, to be a Pharisee was to be revered, right? This was a a religious leader. The people looked up to them. They saw the Pharisees walking through the street and it was, ooh, look, there goes a Pharisee. They've got it all together. For us today, it would be the person driving the nice car that lives in the nice house that seems from a from an outside perspective that their life is exactly where it should be that boy they figured out the secret to life and they matter because see we live in a very consumeristic world where people are focused on getting stuff and getting things and it's all about how much i have and so when we see people that have a lot we think wow they they they're doing a great job And yet Paul lived in a day, especially among the Jewish people, where it was all about how religious you could be. So the more religious someone was, the more special everybody thought they must be. And boy, they've got it all together. That's a good person. Their life must count. It must matter, right? 
And so Paul says, I was a Pharisee. He said, the sixth thing he said of himself, he said, as for zeal, concerning zeal, he said, I persecuted the church. I was so fervent for my religion that I was willing to persecute other people. Paul worked hard to do that. He traveled all over. He was taking people out of their homes, putting them in prison. He was putting people to death. Paul's listing these things in a sense as positive things, or at least a certain group of people would have seen this as a positive thing, right? And then he says, finally, he says, as concerning the law, I was blameless. If you look at the legalistic rules that were given to say that the Pharisees had come up with, uh, all the 600 plus items that they said, you got to follow all these things. He said, I was blameless. That's a strong statement to be able to make, isn't it? I doubt any of us could say, yep, I've read the law and I'm blameless. You couldn't do that with the Bible. You couldn't even do that with the law of the United States, right? You might have broken the law driving here this morning. You say, oh, I just didn't see the speed limit. Paul says he was blameless. <laughs> he hadn't broken anything. That's impressive. But Paul gives these things and he says, notice, verse 7, But what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. All those things, those seven things, those were things that the people of his day and age would have treasured special things, valuable things. And yet Paul says, that's not valuable to me at all in comparison with Christ. Those, he said, I counted as loss for Christ. You know, there are many treasures that people hold on to. And yet, it is possible to hold on to treasure and still have a wasted life if you're holding on to the wrong treasure. This is true not just in the spiritual world and your relationship with God. This is true in the investing world, right? If you invest in something and you hold on to a bad investment, it can ruin you financially, right? If you're not willing to give it up, I love it so much. I have people start businesses, right, sometimes, and they have an emotional attachment with it, but maybe the business is failing and they need to close it down and be done, but they hold on because I love it and I have this emotional attachment to it. I've spent all this time with it, and yet it can pull them under and their families and other people around them because it's a bad investment. It's a bad treasure. It's a treasure to them, but it's not a good thing to hold on to. This happens in relationships. People get into a relationship with another person and maybe one or both of them is not walking with the Lord and they're living in sin and doing wrong and you see all kinds of destructive things happen in relationships because people are holding on to something that they think is valuable and yet it's tearing them up. It's not valuable at all in the true sense. And yet in life... Many of us can tend to hold on to things and value things that are good things and fail to value what really matters. Paul counted his family heritage as loss for Christ. I love my family. The family that's now descended from me, my children, and the family that I'm descended from. 
Got a text this morning from my grandmother who's taking this notebook with my great, great grandfather's journals and, and a bunch of family information. She's taking to the family reunion today. Now, you don't care if you're not part of my family, but if you're part of my family, you're like, that's pretty cool. That's my great, great grandfather. He wrote that stuff. He lived that stuff. That's my family. I'm proud of my family. For most of them, anyway. And yet, Paul said, it's loss. It's worthless in comparison with Christ. If I hold on to my family and I fail to follow Christ... My life doesn't count. He says, secondly, his social status. Right? He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, Benjamin, the land that Benjamin controlled was the area surrounding Jerusalem, where the temple was. The first king of Israel was a Benjamin, Benjaminite, right? Saul. And remember, what was Paul's name before it was Paul? It was Saul. Most likely, Paul was named after the first king of Israel, named Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was. So everyone said, wow, this is Paul. Man, he's got the same name as the first king of Israel. He's, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He's got some status. He, he's one of those people we would say he matters. We want to know what he thinks. We want to see what he's going to do. And I could have all the social standing in the world. But if I don't have Christ. It's worthless. He goes on and talks about his biblical knowledge. Right. I'm the Pharisee. I I know the law. He had large portions of the Old Testament memorized of the of the first five books of the law. He would have perhaps been like the Pharisees and had the little phylacteries on his head and on his arms as he walked around carrying little bits of Scripture actually fastened to his body. He would have practiced very careful things with his diet of what he ate, the type of clothing that he wore and the cloth that it would have been woven out, how he even trimmed his beard. We can have all that going for us. We can look great from the outside. and We can have all the religiosity that we want. And yet, if we don't have Christ, it's worthless. You can come to church every Sunday of your life. And yet, if you don't have Christ, it doesn't matter. You're going to get to heaven. Or not going to get to heaven, right? You're going to be judged along with the absolute wickedest person that you can imagine in your mind. And spend an eternity separated from God. Because without Christ, it's all worthless. He talks about his biblical knowledge, his religious activity. Paul was involved in as, as a Jew going around and rooting out those Christians. He had lots of religious activity. And oh, we can be guilty of that too, can't we? Oh, I'm busy at my church. What do you do? Well, I serve here. You can ask people sometimes, well, tell me about when you came to Christ and their testimony will be something like this. Well, I grew up in church. I was baptized when I was young. I've taught Sunday school. I help serve food to the homeless. Those are all good things. But without Christ, Paul says it's worthless. Your life doesn't count just because you have that stuff. 
if you don't have Christ. Paul had a moral lifestyle. He was blameless. Think about these things. The family heritage, the social status, the biblical knowledge, the religious activity, the moral lifestyle. All of these things have something in common. They're all good things. It reminds me of chapter 1 in Philippians where Paul's prayer for the people was that they would approve the things that were excellent. He wanted them to to not just say, well, that's good. I'm doing pretty good. He said, I want you to approve and focus on and live for the the most excellent things, the best things. How sad it would be if we get to the end of our lives and boy, we want it to count and yet we get to heaven Someday, maybe we're saved. Maybe we know Christ is our Savior. But instead of really focusing on Christ and serving Him, we've really more served some other made-up idea in our head of what is important. And instead of really making a difference and having a life that counts and living a life of real purpose, we've substituted a different purpose. And now we get to heaven and it doesn't matter like we thought it did. How sad that would be. How empty I think I would feel if my life was a waste. And yet many people waste their lives. Christ is far greater than all of any of the great things of this world. The treasure of life that really counts is Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm willing to forego all the rest of that stuff so that I could have Christ What does it mean to be a Christ follower according to Philippians chapter 3? It means that we take everything and everyone else in our lives and we write loss over the top of it without Christ. If I don't have Christ, it's all loss. With Christ, these can be wonderful things. He's not saying don't have a good family. He's not saying don't be a good religious person. But he's saying if you're doing that without Christ, it's all waste. So... How are we going to live this life? How are we going to do these things? In Christ, Paul found something and someone that was worth losing everything else for. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. That's a pretty strong word he uses to say how worthless it is. Parents of young children know what that's like to deal with all of the baby stuff and changing the diapers and all that stuff. I had the privilege of doing that at 3.30 in the morning yesterday morning. You wake up with a little cry in the night and you go up. A certain member of our family I think had too much watermelon to eat Friday night. It wasn't a pretty sight. And he was in pain. (laughs) And Paul says that's what life is like without Christ. No matter how much you attain, how much money you earn, how many degrees you have, how many people you might have helped in your own strength or with your own money, it's all worthless without Christ. How can we ever accomplish what God has called us to do? To live out the Great Commission, right? To make disciples. How are we ever going to do that if we're not willing to take what we have and say, I'm willing to give it all for Christ? 
Paul says, I'm willing to give it all. It means it might mean risking my life. Many missionaries around the world have risked their lives for the cause of Christ. It might mean risking finances, right? Spending things to put into ministry endeavors. It might mean risking your time. Oh, I might have invested time in something, and I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Paul was willing to give it all. It's interesting, back at the end of chapter 2, Paul gives us an example of somebody who was willing to serve Christ with everything he had. This was a man who's not talked about a lot in Scripture. His name was Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2, as a man who longed dearly to come back to the church there at Philippi and to minister to them. Paul said through his work and Epaphroditus and his traveling, perhaps he was even spending time with Paul there in the prison that Paul was writing from, that Epaphroditus had become sick, he'd become ill. And he said, he desired to come to you so much, but he was sick almost to the point of death. Epaphroditus was willing to give it all. You read about men and women in Scripture who gave it all for Christ. The Bible tells us about Moses who left Egypt. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us that Moses was willing to give up all the treasures of Egypt so that he would fulfill what God had called him to do. Moses is the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. He could have had it all. And in fact, he did have a lot while he was living there and he left it all to follow God. Now, it took him some time, didn't it? It took him 40 years in the backside of the desert, out in the wilderness there, and finally he had that burning bush moment, right, when God called him to go and to serve. But Moses obeyed and he went. Not always willingly. Sometimes he was afraid. He He had a lot of issues. We know he sinned. We know he did all kinds of stuff wrong. But Moses was trying to serve God with his life. Think about Job. Here's a man that God said was a just and upright man who feared God. He served Him with his life. He he stayed away from all evil. Remember, Satan comes along and he says, well, that's just because he's had it easy, right? Let me tempt him. Let me take some things away from him. Let me touch him and he won't serve you, God. And so God allowed it. And within a space of just a, a few hours, Job lost everything. His flocks, his children, all of his riches, gone. And yet, as you read through the book of Job, you come across this statement. When Job is faced with having lost it all, his own, the only thing he had left with his, was his wife, and she wasn't a nice lady. She told him, well, just curse God and die. He had his friends come along, and they weren't much help either. They told him, well, you've probably sinned, Job. You've probably done wrong. That's probably why God's judging you. But it wasn't for any of those reasons. And Job makes this statement. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Job, even after losing everything because of his faithfulness to God, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. Job knew that there was something greater for him than this life. And we don't want to miss that today either. There's something greater than you and me 
and just fulfilling whatever purposes we have for our lives. The greatest thing we could ever do with our life is to give it to Christ and service to Him. And that looks so different in, in every different person, right? You can serve Christ without being a missionary, without being a pastor. You can serve Christ working a job here in this city and taking care of your family and raising your children and living your life. Whether you have children or not, you can serve God with your life. You can point others to Christ. You can be a witness wherever you are. You can follow Christ. You can give of your time. You can give of your finances. You can serve God with your life. Not for your own personal benefit, but because it's what God has called us to do. Paul understood this. He said, I count all these things but loss for the cause of Christ that I might win Christ. What's the focus of your life today? Does your life count? If you had to take stock of how you've lived your life up to this point, would you say, I'm living a life that matters, that counts, that's, that's on track for what God wants me to do? Or maybe you're like me and I'd have to be honest and say, there have been some good times and some not so good times. There have been some times where I know I could have done better. There have been some times when I got my eyes off of Christ and got them on myself or on my circumstances, the struggles around me. Paul's greatest desire was to serve Christ with his life. He said it's not so that in verse 9 that he would find his own righteousness. He says, being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith paul's desire is given to us here in verse 10 that i may know him and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death so we've seen that we must treasure christ above everything that this world has to offer so how are we going to do that well we need to trust in christ to provide everything that we could ever need Trust in Christ to provide everything that you ever will need. Verse 9, we see that Christ's righteousness covers our sin. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It is for by grace that we are saved through faith. Not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is God who gives us Salvation and Christ's righteousness covers our sin. It's through His power that we are guaranteed to go to heaven someday, our resurrection. He had power over death, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection. Paul says, it's my desire to know the power of His resurrection. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and if I die serving Christ, which Paul did, he said, I'm gonna, I want to know that power too. I want to experience that resurrection as well, that one day I would rise from this earth, from this ground, this grave that I've been buried in, and spend an eternity with God, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. And then he says, the fellowship of His sufferings. Wait a minute, I like knowing Christ, and I like experiencing His power. I'm not sure about this third one. Fellowshipping with His sufferings. What does he mean by that? His fellowship... 
or the fellowship of his sufferings gives us a special relationship with Christ. If I lose something in this life, or even if I lose life itself, it has the benefit of bringing me closer to Christ. You ever thought about that? Because Paul said, I'm willing to count all things but loss for Christ. So if I, if I have less, maybe I'll be more focused on Christ. Kind of see that idea there. Paul says, it's for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. So when maybe when God takes something away from you, it's not because he's trying to hurt you. It's because he's trying to bring you closer to himself. Maybe he's trying to remove a distraction in your life. We can often be frustrated when God removes things from us. When we face difficulty and suffering and pain, we go through hard things. Sometimes it's by removing something that causes pain. Sometimes pain is caused when something new is added in, right? Pain goes both ways. (laughs) Pain happens when change happens a lot in our lives, right? Either something new coming into our life or something that we've liked and held on to that's now removed. Either way, there's a, either a ripping process or a sort of a crushing thing that goes on and new stuff's going in and it causes pain. And yet this should cause us to turn to Christ, the fellowship that comes through suffering. When I go through difficulties, I can either get my eyes on my circumstances and my struggles. Paul talks about that. In chapter 4, when he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Again, I say rejoice. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. He says, I'm not to be worried. I'm not to be focused on my circumstances and the struggle. Paul's sitting in jail writing this. He says, My focus is to be on Christ. I want to know Him. I want to know the power of His resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto his death let us hold loosely to the things that this world offers when i hold on to stuff tightly and think this is what's going to make me happy and that thing or that person that i'm holding on to is someone or something other than christ it's not going to bring me the happiness that i think it will so we need to trust in christ to provide everything we need we must pursue christ with a passion That's what we read about in verse 11. Paul says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul is going after this with everything he can. He's using sports terminology here to try to apprehend, to reach a goal, to cross a finish line. To reach for it with everything he has, stretching every fiber in his being. Like you see those runners as they're trying to get to the finish line in a race. We need to have a passion to pursue after Christ. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. Back in verse 6, he says, concerning zeal persecuting the church this phrase in here of persecuting the church and and zealous that word's the same word that's used to press toward the mark fascinating isn't it that paul says i was i was zealous i was pressing i was working after something but it was worthless he says instead now i press i work i reach toward the mark that christ has set 
for me. We must pursue after Christ with the passion in our hearts and in our lives. That means that we can't live a comfortable Christian life and think that we're okay. If my life doesn't require me to reach or to press or to push or to sacrifice for Christ, to go out of my way, to give extra effort, then perhaps I'm not living the life that God has called me to live as a Christian. He didn't save us to sit, to be comfortable, but to serve. Doesn't want it, mean it won't be fun along the way. Doesn't mean there won't be wonderful fellowship along the way. We know Paul experienced it. He talked about the wonderful fellowship and the people that came and helped him and encouraged him. We read about men and women throughout Scripture who enjoyed wonderful blessings of serving God. And yet, if our life is saying, well, it's only good as a Christian when I'm being blessed, then maybe we're missing out on the purpose because Paul says there's some fellowship that comes through suffering too. Being willing to give of myself, to push myself, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is and what He's done for me. That I may know Him, Paul says. Pursue Christ with a passion. We're almost done. Look at Paul's focus. Verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Christ followed hard after us, didn't He? He reached, in a sense, for us. He came to this world. He lived a perfect life. He died for you and for me. That wasn't easy. If it was easy, He wouldn't have asked God to remove the cup from Him in the Garden of Gethsemane. But no, He was willing to do it. And shouldn't we be willing to press just as hard to push back for Him? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service he says to do this i do this by not being conformed to this world but be renewed our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god if i'm pursuing christ with a passion then i can look forward to the prize of his praise right he says looking forward to the high calling of god in christ jesus Someday we will experience the praise that comes from God, that comes from a faithful life lived in service to Him. Paul had a single-mindedness to his life, a focus, a determination. This one thing I do. Every time I hear some of our political leaders speak, I smile to myself because it seems like they're always talking about, well, this is going to be our priority. You know, you always hear, this is my priority. I think, how is that possible? How do you have all these different priorities? What ends up happening? They get a few of the things done. Everything else doesn't always get done the way they want to. And people go, well, why not? Because you and I have our own priorities that we think are important. We, we hear the, 
the politician speak as they're running for office and you say, I agree with that, I like that, I hope he does that or hope she does that. And maybe they do sometimes, but perhaps they don't get everything done that you want them doing. You say, why do they break their promises? Well, maybe it's not on purpose. Maybe it is. But either way, it's impossible to have a hundred different priorities and get them all done. If you know anything about having a day where you accomplish stuff, right? You prioritize, I'm going to get this done and then this and then this. And some of this won't get done, right? But I'm at least make sure this gets done because this is important to me. And Paul says, this one thing I do. He had a focus, a determined purpose. He said, I want to make my life count. I want to make a difference for Christ. It's not through who I am or what I was born into or some social standing that I have or some education. That's not what really makes the difference. It's Christ that makes the difference. And Christ can use those things in me to make a difference in this world. That's why Paul says in another passage, he says, I've become all things to all men so that by any means I might reach some. How does he do this? Well, because he was a Pharisee, he was able to do some things. Because he was a Roman, Paul was able to do some things. All those things that God has given you, those are all wonderful gifts. But they're not the thing that really matters. It's Christ. But through those things that Christ is giving, now you can serve Him. But we need a single-minded focus of serving Him with our life. Looking forward to the prize of His praise. What's the prize? Well, it's the completion of our salvation. Right? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The completion of our salvation. You say, wait a minute, I thought I was saved when I asked Jesus Christ to come to my heart. Yes, you were saved from your sin. But the completion of salvation is ultimately when we enter heaven, right? And we experience the eternal life. No more pain of sin. No more suffering of this life. It's It's the fulfillment, the final cherry on the top, if you will. The completion, the finished work of Christ. The power of His resurrection. So it's the completion of our salvation And it's a wonderful blessing, too. I think part of this prize is also the wonderful blessing of seeing others come to Christ. Paul talks about this here in the book of Philippians, calling the Philippian church, you're my glory and my joy, back in chapter 1. Paul gloried in the fact that they continued on and served God. Part of the reward, I think, that we'll receive in heaven someday is the reward of seeing others that we've had the opportunity to touch and to encourage and to help maybe to lead to Christ along the way to see them there with us. Now you say you can't take anything to heaven, right? But you can take people to heaven, can't you? Can't take stuff, but people go to heaven if they know Christ Jesus as their Savior. And what a wonderful reward it will be someday. I hope my children are there in heaven with me. I hope that they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I hope that each of you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you'll be in heaven with me someday. And whether or not I get to know you for the rest of your life, that doesn't matter. But it's a wonderful blessing to get to see other people and say, I, I got to meet them. I got to know them. Maybe I got to help them. What a wonderful prize that will be someday when we spend an eternity with Christ. But how are we going to get there? It's by staying focused on Christ. I've got a picture here I want you to see as we finish up. I love this picture. This is Michael Phelps in the Olympics last year, racing in the 100-meter butterfly. He lost this race in 2012 in the Olympics. And he came back 
to swim it again in the 2016 Olympics, which many things probably his last one, right? He set a record 20, was it 23, 22, 23 gold medals overall. He did win this race. The other guy, his last name is Kos, or Co, I don't know how you say it, C-O-S, Kos. He was leading for much of the race. Michael Phelps beat him by a touch at the wall. I think there's a little reason for why that other guy lost the race, and I think you can see the reason in that picture. Where's Michael Phelps focused? (laughs) The finish line, the wall. Where's the other guy's focus? The guy next to him. I was a swimmer, raced competitively, and I remember my dad telling me, don't look at the guy next to you. Look where you're going. Look at the finish. Look at the goal. Where are you heading? What's your purpose? Don't live your life checking to the side to see where am I in comparison with everybody else. Don't live your life worried, well, maybe I'm a failure because, look, they're already here and I'm still... Keep your eye focused on the prize. Keep your eye focused on Christ. Head to the finish. The prize is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is not me beating Kyle, right? The prize is getting to to spend eternity with Christ and be able to enter into heaven and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm not over here boxing somebody else out and saying, I serve better. No, I'm here to go to Christ. That guy lost that race when he checked to the side and he got beat by a split second. And so often... That can happen to us when we get our eyes off of Christ. Look to the side and very quickly we can fall off the path where we were and end up someplace where we never expected to be because we lost our purpose and our focus of what Christ has called us to do. 